My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. Welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Christopher Moynihan with CW Urban in Utah. Chris, welcome to the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation. Uh, Chris is a good friend of mine from back in our college days at BYU and uh, was not studying construction management, but has been, I think, working for a contractor pretty much ever since graduating, right? Yeah. Yeah. I worked for a couple of different folks after graduating. Yeah. My undergrad was in history. So. Okay. That's right. I, I forgot what you had studied. So how did you t- kind of walk me through your story and, and background and how you went from a history degree to working for in the construction industry? Yeah. So when I went to BYU, my major was agribusiness and then BYU got rid of the agriculture program. And so I was kind of stuck kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I bounced around a couple of majors and I looked around and said, I've got to graduate. What's the fastest degree program on campus? And it was history or psychology. And I said, well, I could always go be a history teacher and uh, decided to do that. And then I was working construction jobs as either a foreman or kind of an assistant PM all through college to pay for school. And so I found out that construction management was a thing like my last year. And I said, well, I can either spend two and a half years going through the CM program, or I can just keep doing what I'm doing and graduate and then go do it on experience. And so that's kind of how I, I ended up in it. And so uh, the company I was working for through college basically said, well, hey, get graduated, come work for us. And that's kind of how I ended up doing it. And I actually interviewed with the same company that you used to work for. Um, and they offered me an offer, but I, I decided to go the other route. And I, I kick myself every now and then for doing it because I could have been right there with you then but no it's uh just kind of ended up going that route and I've, I've bounced around doing commercial and multifamily primarily um ever since so awesome well um so how did you get into the construction jobs during college um so my first so I, I grew up on a farm and so I was no stranger to hard work and I when I graduated from high school uh, my mom had just put in a sprinkler system and she said, well, you got to go call that guy and, and see if he'll give you a job. And so I ended up getting a job and kind of cut my teeth in construction, doing commercial irrigation. And that okay. kind of spiraled into other stuff. And the guy who ran that company partnered up with another company to uh, build a commercial, re- commercial construction company. And so I worked on and off for them and that's how I, I ended up going that route was because of connections I had made in, in my jobs right out of high school. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then let's see. So you graduated and then ended up back in, in Texas, right? Doing right. So I was kind Texas of mixed doing, property management, multifamily. Yes. It was yeah, mixed property management, multifamily, and a lot of federal government work. So we did ground up and tenant improvement stuff for the federal government. And then we did, we managed 456 houses for the Air Force. So doing large, large property management for them. We did turnovers and make readies and minor renovations and stuff for the the multifamily housing. And then we did ground up construction. So that was kind of my first dive, deep dive into commercial construction. Okay. And what kind of roles did you, did you do when you were first starting off? 
first out of college? Uh, I was I was a project manager, but, but in a very loose term, I was the superintendent on site, but I also handled all the paperwork. Essentially, these three guys that, that had that company said, we don't want to handle any paperwork. So anything that was paperwork ended up on my desk. So I did all the bidding and estimating. I did the certified payroll on our federal projects. Um, pretty much, you know, all of our submittal packages, everything that needed uh, paperwork kind of came across my desk. And then I was in charge of doing QAQC and safety. And there was a couple of times where to land the contract, we had to have somebody on site with an OSHA 30. And so they said, great. Chris, you're gonna go take a take a class and be an OSHA 30. Okay, great. So yeah, that's fine. Hey, Chris, we need a we need a certified arborist. Can you do that? Yeah, sure. I'll go take the, the week long class to become a certified arborist. Kind of stuff like that. So they sent me to a couple different classes, and uh, that was kind of how they I, I moved my way up. Was I used those certifications and kind of leveraged them to get into a better position after I left that company, and I've been doing that ever since. You know, taking advantage of every opportunity I can to learn and to grow and and that's how i kind of keep keep moving up so awesome so kind of walk me through your your journey since then what to what you're doing now all right so see i, I worked for that company for let's see probably three or four years and I, after that i went and built uh, big mini storage projects in san antonio and kind of surrounding area and that one i was, I was strictly a superintendent um, but i also helped them develop their quality assurance and quality control program. So I kind of got to, to do a little bit of that. And then that company, they had some funding issues on a project. And so they said, well, hey, you've got a, you know, about a month and a half before your project wraps up. We really want to keep you on, but we don't know what we're going to do with you. You know, we, we won't blame you if you leave. And I said, okay. So then I used kind of my networking connections to get a job doing commercial tenant improvement jobs in, in high rises in downtown San Antonio. And that so was that kind of their subtle of, way of saying, please go find another job? That I mean, it was, they they had other projects coming down their pipeline, but like this was like February and they uh -huh. said, we don't have another project that we know we're going to have funding for until August or September. So okay. we can either put you on unemployment for six months or we can, you know, fire you if you want to go that route. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to just sit around for six months waiting for my job to kick off. Like they didn't have anything in their yeah. office for me really to do. And so I was like, I mean, I think that it was just, they had a project that they were going to put me on that was about a six month project. And then the funding fell through for it. They had some private investors that decided not to invest in it. And so it just kind of all fell apart. And so it went from a really steady pipeline. Oh yeah, we've got plenty of work to uh, we actually have a surplus of superintendents and don't know what we're going to do with you. It just happened real quick. So I don't blame them for anything. And I actually give them a lot of props for not just, you know, getting me to the end of the project and laying me off and saying, too bad, so sad. Yeah. Like they gave me enough time to say, hey, you've got a month and a half. If you want to find something, you know, we can we can let you go. We'll give you a good recommendation and, and we'll kind of figure out what's going on there. And yeah. then, uh, like I said, I, I moved on and I, I built fancy offices for a while. And then with the COVID-19 pandemic, everybody went from building fancy offices and, and cool office spaces to not building cool office spaces <laughs> so we saw the company i worked for had like 15 employees kind of a boutique shop and we're doing you know five to ten million dollars in business on, on any given year and then end of 2019 i finished up a, a project and they said no worries we've got another project for you get made it all the way through 2020 and i looked around and the company went from eight superintendents down to three superintendents and there was the guy who started the company with the boss the guy whose kids played baseball with his kids and me. 
I was like, somebody's getting laid off next. <laughs> and it's it's looking like this guy. And so sure enough, you know, he called me in on a Tuesday about a year ago, actually, almost exactly, and said, Hey, you know, we just don't have the work for you. We'd really like to keep you on, but I don't I don't have anything. And I'm so sorry. This is my failing as a business owner, and this is the thing that I don't like to do. I said, no worries. We, we had talked about moving anyway. And so kind of used it as an opportunity and uh, used it to move up here to Utah to where I'm working at CW Urban now. Um, but yeah, you know, I was out of work for, I think, four and a half weeks between when I got laid off and when I started, which gave me just enough time to pack up my house, sell it and move up here. So it really you know, it all worked out in the end. But Okay, cool. And so yeah. what are you doing with CW Urban? I'm a superintendent doing multifamily stuff. So right now I've got a $20 million project called The Pearl in uh, in Daybreak. And I'm doing just under 100 units. It's like 108,000 square feet of building. Um, it's it's a neat three project, three building complex that we're building out. So I've got a three-story building, a four-story building, a five-story building. It's a it's a real neat project. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. That's neat. Were you able to start that from the ground up or you kind of took over mid? Yeah, so I, I did this one from the ground up. So I started off, the, my first project for them was the Beverly, which is a little four-building complex downtown Salt Lake. And that one is uh, 48 units. I took over that one from another superintendent, just got it kind of through the end. And then after that, they put me over here on the Pearl, and I started it from, they had just barely broken ground. So they had, you know, I think they had one footing in the ground before I, I got out here. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, I, I did it from the ground up. Awesome. Yeah, that's fun. So is the Utah market just still going crazy with housing, both multifamily and single family? We actually just had our state of the business meeting this morning, and we're mm -hmm. projected to do about three times the amount of building that we did last year, this year. Wow. Um, so we're, we're, and it is just, and they're, and they're talking about closing more deals for the next year after that, you know, for 2023. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's really a really hot market and we can't build housing fast enough. So. Yeah. That's amazing to see that, that growth. I mean, um, so is daybreak, is daybreak almost, almost completed? Yeah. So there's, there's us and then there's two more multifamily projects. And then I think they've got one or two more parcels that are our future expansion development areas, but yeah, it's, okay. it's getting pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I remember when daybreak very first opened back in the early two thousands and it was sure kind of brand new uh, concept, you know, that was, and it started off these, these beautiful, small kind of starter home neighborhoods that were just awesome. And, and it's continued to just be extremely yeah, successful. It's, it's, it's definitely a case study in master plan communities and, and how to do it right. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful sub, I don't know if you community subdivision. I'm not even sure yeah. how you'd classify it the community but, well at this point it's almost its own entire it's almost uh, its own town yeah it's yeah, town. South Jordan, but yeah it's its own thing but yeah it's 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 a beautiful area yeah well that's cool um so what do, what are the challenges you're facing uh in in that kind of market i imagine with labor and you know it's it's good problems to have but when we're selling like crazy like that uh, what are the challenges that come along with that it's all labor and global supply chain management. So like right now, my big uh, problem is windows because of the black vinyl shortages. We've had to make some pivots and stuff on window selections. And then the number one complaint, and you cover this quite a bit in your podcast, is just construction labor. We don't have the guys that we need to build as quickly as we want to. 
you know, we've, we've got a huge labor shortage and there's a real need for people in the trades and for young people to get into the trades. Um, I mean, I've got guys that are, you know, no skills, pushing a broom, cleaning up job sites that are making 20 bucks an hour. So I, I don't, there's, there's like, I don't understand how we can't find more people with what the wages are up here because yeah. I mean, it's, it's just insane. It's insane, but we just don't have the, the labor and the, the young people that we need to, to kind of keep these trades growing and, and moving forward. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting. I mean, 20 bucks an hour to push a broom. I mean, that your skilled guys have to be making what 45, 50, 60 bucks an hour. Yeah. So some of these, some of these guys are probably clearing 45, 50 bucks an hour, you know, to, uh, to be a, you know, be a, I think that I was talking to my plumber the other day and he was saying that his apprentice is pulling 24 with benefits and that they're looking at once, you know, once he gets his journeyman, then he'll go up to 32, I think is what he said. So, I mean, these guys are, are clearing probably in North of 60, 70 K a year without overtime. And then once they put overtime on there, you know, clearing 80, 90 as a journeyman. Wow. With, you know, and you said with benefits? Experience. With benefits on top of that. Yeah. So, wow. you know, they're, they're making some good money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so much opportunity. So what does that do to your project? I mean, on a hundred unit complex, what would your timeline be normally and what are you looking at right now? So when we built out our schedule originally, we we're hoping for like a year long duration, year and change. Um, we've already had it when we came in and kind of did our meetings to talk with our subs and make sure it was all ready to go. We bumped that duration out to about a year and a half. So, I mean, it added four and a half months to my schedule. Um, just because we have limited manpower and, and trying to figure out where we can pull people from, how we can do that without compromising our other projects. It's just a, a real, real problem. You know, there's, and it's not, it's a good problem to have, you know, we're, we're growing like crazy, but it's kind of a, a chronic issue from, you know, we don't like, we like to think that the recession from the you know, 07, 08 is over. But because we had so many home builders and stuff go under, a lot of those guys got out of the trades. And so we're seeing kind of the ripple effects of that, you know, to this day where we just don't have the same number of guys getting into the trades and we don't have the same number of experienced guys that we would otherwise. Right. Yeah. All those guys that got out and never came back. Yeah. And then just, the, I, I remember, I mean, talking about the BYU construction management program in oh. Six when it, fall of 06 when I was doing my first semester at BYU, uh, it was a very competitive program. It was hard to get into. Mm-hmm. You had to apply, and and it was tough to get into. And then I left for two years on a mission, came back, and it was just a. I mean, you still had to apply, but everybody got accepted, and it was, yeah, oh, it was oh, essentially an open program. Yeah, yeah, open program. And now, last time I, I checked in on, on the program, it was they had combined the construction and facilities management degrees into one because they just didn't have a volume of students coming into it that they needed to keep two separate programs. Yeah. Which is like, I was, so not to disclose salaries or anything, but I was talking to uh, one of my interns that was working for me a, a summer or two ago. And he's talking about going to be an actuary. And I was like, you know, like, what, what do you think you're going to pull in? And he's like, well, after like three or four years, I think I can pull in like a hundred, a hundred K. And I was like, that's great, man. That's great. You know, you could do that like right now with a CM degree. You could go like two, three years, you'd be making 100K. Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of growth available if you want to get into it. 
And there's a lot of yeah. companies that are hiring and, and hiring those really healthy salaries. You know, we like to talk about, you know, go, go get your degree and go to school and, and do this, do that. And I'm like, that's great. And, and go get your degree, go do it. But, you know, you get a CM degree, you're going to come out into a really healthy marketplace that's going to continue to grow for a long time. You know, all economic signs continue to show growth. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Well, and I don't, uh, I mean, you didn't get a CM degree and you're, you're still doing extremely well in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, do you feel like having a college degree is, is important, even though it's not a CM degree or, or could, do you think you could have done as well if you just started in the trades and, and worked your way up? So I used, I used my under, I always knew that I was going to do grad school. I knew that I either wanted to do an MBA or I wanted to go to law school. And so for me, my undergrad was just a step. So I actually went on and got my okay. MBA um, after I graduated with my undergrad. Um, so I've got an MBA now, which is how I kind of leveraged my way up into the, the companies that I'm at now. But with that said, I think that there are a lot of opportunities in the trades, especially if you're entrepreneurial. There's, there's not a lot of places where you can go in and in four or five years, you can get a license that's going to let you work for yourself with no upward limit. I mean, you can go become a master yeah. plumber in five years and own a plumbing company and never have to go out and do service calls. You could, you could only do new construction if you wanted to, but you can go get your master plumber license in five years and own your own company as a you know 23 yeah. year old essentially so same thing yeah. with like hvac licenses electricians i mean most of those licenses are five six year programs some of them are a little bit longer you know some of them are 10 year programs but most of those trades will give you your ticket your you know your meal ticket anywhere you want so i think there's definitely opportunities if you don't want to go to college there's definitely opportunities in the trades to go get your license one thing i do always say to kids that are going into the trades is go pursue your master license as if it was a college degree. Go get your license and get your terminal license or get your, your whatever your master's equivalent license is as quickly as you can. And that way, you know, if you do want to get out of the field and go and work in the office, you can. But that way you're you're licensed and you're you're done. But yeah, there's there's tons of opportunity. Even you know, if you don't want to go to college, it's great. Don't go to college. There's there's lots of opportunities in the trades if that's the route that you want to go. Um, and there's lots of room for smart people in the trades to go make a lot of money so yeah absolutely well and and you know I, I look at my brother-in-law that's in in utah right now getting his master plumbers license and he's getting paid to get educated uh yeah. so you know rather than going into student loan debt he pays a semester or they reimburse it but after he shows him his report card as long as he's got good enough grades he gets reimbursed for that education so yeah it's, it's pretty neat way to do it yeah, the there's and depending on the states that you live in, I'm not sure. How, does New Mexico have a pretty strong union culture, or is it right to work and kind of uh, north in Albuquerque? There's a little more union activity, but uh, down south in Las Cruces, we're we're more right to work. I say some some of these states. So I know up in the northeast and and kind of back east, they're a lot more prevalent. You know, it really just depends on on where you're at. But some of the yeah. unions will pay for, pay for you to go through your education and pay for you to go to college. And there's pros mm -hmm. and cons to that approach because then you kind of owe the union a little bit. And there's there's pros and cons, but it's just there there's lots of opportunities. So even if you if you don't have the money to want one of the money, well, great, then go join the union. They'll pay for you to get your tools. They'll pay for you to get your schooling, and then you can use that to go somewhere else if you choose to. So yeah. it just kind of depends on what you want to do. Yeah. Well, uh, Chris, how do you see the construction industry changing over the next ten to fifteen years? I think that the biggest things that we'll start to see is more 
BIM, especially multifamily, um, a lot more BIM, a lot more digital management of assets. So looking at how things are laid out, I think that we'll start to see some of that um, AI and uh, virtual reality stuff trickle down in the field. You know, especially as we see dimensioning become and, and augmented reality become more accessible. I think that those things are going to start coming into the field a little bit more. The other thing that I, I see a lot is transitioning to digital documentation. So like when I started off in the field, probably when you started off in the field, everything was on paper. You know, we printed out everything and put it on, put it in folders and binders mm-hmm. and there's just you know, paper everywhere. And now with so many, there's, you know, Procore and PlanGrid and Bluebeam and all these, these management softwares. I'm starting to see it trickle down into the the single family a little bit more and into the multifamily world a little bit more. So I think that those two things are things probably the the biggest things I, I see is just kind of the building management and documentation management making their way into the digital world. And I think that we'll start to see some of the 3D printing stuff. I think that the biggest issue that we'll see with that is getting the different coding authorities on board. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. So you talk about BIM, building information modeling. What? Uh, yeah. How do you how do you see that playing a bigger role? Um, right now, clash detection is probably the biggest thing. Um, one of the things that we run into on yeah. our projects a lot is is you know just making sure that you know if there's a duct and a pipe, we don't want them to run into each other. So mm-hmm. kind of going through it and and overlaying our mechanical, electrical, and plumbing drawings uh, across our structural drawings. Those are those are kind of the the biggest things that I see kind of making their yeah. way into our space yeah yeah that's uh especially in multifamily. i know single family residential we're it's a little bit easier a little bit uh yeah y'all y'all are cowboys man you guys can just do whatever you want we've got to we've got to spend a little bit of time on it yeah well we're we're doing a 10 unit town home building right now and they're they're all on foundation so it's not like we're stacking units but yeah. Even even just that to to source it's it's kind of a horseshoe shaped building with sure. all, a big shared driveway essentially. But to turning all the utilities getting into the building and to each unit is yeah. Just getting getting your utilities in is probably the biggest headache on on that style of townhome is just getting figuring out where all your meters are going to go and how they're going to tie in and where the pedestals are going to sit. And all that yeah, keep them. We got to we got to do two two units. The uh, electrical panels together and then the next the other side of the garage is the two gas and then the two you know all the way around yeah. this, this horseshoe so and then fun. go and open up that whole, problem solving right yeah and then figuring out how we're going to schedule scaffolding for the stucco on, on sure. that while we got to go excavate this whole courtyard so now here's yeah, multi-family will, they do, will they let you do each one of those townhomes on its own permit or did you have to permit all 10 at once we did each one as a as a single a single family permit. See, that's the one headache. That, so I'm the company I work for, the townhome guys are their own entity, and we're, we're multifamily. So I, I work okay. around them, but I don't work with them. But that's one of the headaches that they're running into is they've got like four per unit. Like they've got a four townhome building, and they've got mm-hmm. I don't know, 25 of those that they're building. Uh, but the problem that they're running into is each one of those buildings is its own permit. So they've got A, B, C, D in each one of these buildings. And so they've got A ready, but they can't release it for rent until D is done. And yeah. that's just what the, the city made them do it up here. And so we're running into this kind of headache where we've got units done, ready to go, ready to rent. And we just can't get them off high center because we have to you know, get a garage door for this other unit. So it's kind of fun yeah. to see how it lays out. 
Yeah, that, that was a challenge because we were, we were trying to get the first few units advanced further and close them. And then we realized, oh, wait, the first few units are at the back of this horseshoe. So we can't, yeah. I mean, we could theoretically close them, but we can't really because <laughs> we because can't we're, we'll have access to their garage. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, well, I guess we got to get the exterior done first and then we'll finish out the insides. Yeah, figuring yeah, out that sequence thing is always the, the fun part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so do you think, uh, you mentioned 3D printing. Uh, well, for, I guess, first of all, are you guys in your multifamily getting involved in any kind of offsite manufacturing, whether that's wall panels or... Uh, so, yeah, we did, we did, yeah, we did panelizing on one of the buildings that I'm doing right now. Um, our other two buildings, it didn't make quite as much sense to do the panelizing. The lead times on it were, were too long. The mm -hmm. company that we're doing a lot of our framing with, they're working on making their own uh, truss plant and wall panelizing factory. So okay. once they're up and running, that's like the next two, three years, they're planning on doing that. So once they're up and running and doing their own stuff in-house, it'll probably get a little bit easier for us to do that. But for right now, we're still doing a lot of stick belt. Um, we're prefabbing steel and stuff off-site, obviously, but... Um, yeah, it's all kind of a kind of an adventure. So there's some of that, that tech that's kind of making it way, making its way towards us. That's cool to see on within the one project that they were. So you got some stick built, some prefab. How did that work out? Were the prefabs quite a bit quicker? Um, so yeah, once once they're panelized, they go onto the slab and probably about a third of the time. So like, for example, you know, if it took us a, a week per floor, we'd be, we'd be getting the floor up and by Tuesday, Wednesday, we'd have it up. So, wow. I mean, it, it does make it quite a bit quicker on site. It just kind of depends on how it all shakes out. So the building that we did the, the pre-panelizing on was a much smaller building. So it made a little bit more sense to do it that way. On our two bigger buildings, we decided to go ahead and do them on site just because of availability of lumber and the timeline from our, our panelizing guys was going to take us too long to get them. So rather than sit on the slab and wait, it makes sense to just exactly. stick frame them, even yeah, though that stick frame would take longer. Okay. Yep. Cool. That's neat. What, as, a, as a superintendent uh, managing that, do you have a preference one way over the other? I don't. There's there's pros and cons to both approaches. The nice thing about stick built is if I have to fur out a wall or do something like that, it's, it's just as easy to do it on site than, than mess with it panelizing. And I, I mean, I suppose even if we panelized it, it wouldn't be you know, terribly hard to get some material on site to go ahead and do things like fur outs and bump outs and stuff. But really, there's there's pros and cons to both ways. That's I've I've wanted to try panelizing my walls, but I've seen other builders and and my framers just absolutely not interested in doing it because he says I've talked to the other guys in town that do it, and they always end up having to fix those panels. So I guess you got to have a really good panel company. Uh, that knows yeah, what they're doing you've gotta, design it right. you've gotta have your you gotta have your plans down to a t and your yeah. all of your other trades have to know what they're doing beforehand otherwise it just creates more problems than it's worth so i did the same thing when i was doing um, structurally insulated panels and it, that's a kind of a similar problem is you've got these structurally insulated panels that are hard to manipulate on site that you end up having issues with because you know somebody mismeasured by two three inches and all of a sudden you've got a wall floating out over a slab um, and it just kind of depends on how you're doing it in the field. But yeah, if, if your field guys are good, you've got a good panel company, there's, it, it can save you some time. But it just kind of depends on how things are going. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out, whether panelization becomes the, uh, the standard in the future or, or whether we look to 3D printing or something like that. Because to me, where you can 
where you can have the machine do most of the work, it seems like it ought to be a lot more consistent, eliminate a lot of that human error that we get in the field. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. There's, like I said, there's some neat tech coming down the pipeline. It'll be interesting to see kind of what what people come up with and how it actually shakes out in the field. Yeah. Well, a uh, couple of rapid fire questions for you. What is the best advice that you've ever received professionally? There's nothing out here worth getting hurt on. Be safe. Go home safe every day. Go home to your family. That's the best piece of advice I've ever heard. It's one that I take to heart. Absolutely. That's a good one. I'll tell you, that's, I think that's the first safety answer we've had on the show. Like there's that. the the guy the guy who told to me is a guy named Ray Bragg and he's one of the best superintendents I've ever worked around. He was running a three hundred and fifty million dollar solar project when I was running a little three hundred fifty thousand dollar construction project. And when he said there's nothing out here with getting hurt on, that really stuck with me. And about a year later, I lost a friend in a trench collapse on a job site, oh. and that's what really that's what really sent it home for me was he left behind five kids and a wife. And I was like, there is nothing there's nothing on my job that is worth getting hurt on. So. Yeah. Uh, well, who have you learned the most from throughout your career? The subcontractors, 100%. Um, I'm not a subject matter expert on anything, and some of these guys have 30, 40 years in the trades. And so mm -hmm. if I come up to them and ask them a question, they can give me a much better, more detailed answer than I could ever go research on my own. So yeah. taking the time to get to know your subcontractors and trusting in their knowledge, but also taking the time to learn from them, that's been the one thing. It takes a little bit of humility. you got to check your ego a little bit but they've, mm -hmm. they've taught me the most out of anybody. That's awesome. Yeah, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of humility to do that, but uh, absolutely great way to get answers. For sure. Yeah, they'll, they'll give you a learning real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you could go back, Chris, to your uh, very first day working at the, the landscaping company, what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Well, I would have said go, go to work for an HVAC company. Those guys make bank in South Texas. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I, I'd probably st stick to it. Um, just, I would say to, to spend the time to get licensed, go ahead and, and pursue whatever licensure, whatever trade you decide to work in and whatever your profession is, get get licensed in it, make sure that you're the best of the best and that you know what you're doing and, and the best ways to do it. Never cease to look for an education. Awesome. So if you uh, had to start over and had to pick one specific trade, what would that trade be? So I'm a, I'm a South Texas kid, and in South Texas, air conditioning men are about as close to God as you can get. On a weekend, <laughs> if it's 115 degrees, you don't care what it costs. You want an HVAC guy there. So yeah. I, would, I would probably go back and do HVAC if I could go back and do it all over again. Okay. Yeah, that's a great, great answer, great industry, great trade. I mean, you're, you're a Las Cruces. You're probably right there with us. But if it's 100 degrees on the weekend, nobody cares what it costs. Let's go ahead and get the AC fixed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I like that. Uh, I don't know. If, if it was me, I think I'd go electrical. I okay, was like electrical trade, but uh, HVAC is important too. All right, man. Well, Chris, how can people get a hold of you or uh, learn more about you and, and CW Urban? Um, so you can follow CW Urban there on LinkedIn. I'm going to say they've got an Instagram as well. We're also a sponsor of University of Utah Sports, so you can see us whenever the U plays. Um, if you want to find me personally, you can find me on Facebook at the guy scout. I have a group for men that I, it's called the guy scouts that I run. So that's the, probably my most public facing entity. You can find me on LinkedIn too. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. I hope that you've learned something from our guest today. 
The Ben Beard Show is sponsored by Redcliffe Homes. The purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in. If you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction, I'd love to hear it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The Ben Beard Show.